On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. I think the biggest thing when it came to Linda Carter was she taught me you can keep up with the boys and you can surpass them, and it's okay. It's totally cool to do that. And not, you could still be compassionate, kind, you can have wisdom, you can have all these things and still, it's still okay. Cause up to that point, everything was a damsel in distress. She was none of that, but yet she could still be vulnerable. There, there was no wall. And I was like, this is pretty cool. This is different. And I believe, and people will laugh when I say this, I believe it transferred over to Miss Piggy. From the Muppets, like I saw there was a certain piece of that where I was like, okay, I can see these women moving forward. And then you had Charlie's Angels and they all started moving where I was like, all right, we're getting less into saving and more into doing something about it and taking the reins. And as a little girl, it's just not something you saw. So it just, for me, it was a lot and she still looked good doing it all. It was just something that I'm like, she wasn't over-sexualized in Wonder Woman in the TV show. You never saw her. Nobody was ever commenting on, wow, that's a low-cut outfit you're running around. And people were like, oh, she's beautiful. But it was never done in that creepy way. And I was, as a little girl, not that you were thinking about that, but it was just nice. It was always that she was really smart. She was really strong. Wow, look at what she's doing. I don't know. It was just like, that was the, that laid the foundation moving forward of okay you want a guy who will accept you for you and everything you can bring to the table and not be intimidated Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusty Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today, we are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. And I am talking to a writer, a cosplayer, and pretty much a badass, based on her (laughs) description. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. As you said, I'm a fantasy author now, cosplayer always, and a former nurse and martial artist. So now I'm writing the Birth to the Face series published by Four Horsemen Publications. Very nice. I can't wait. I bought one of the books. I've started it. I'm engaged already. I'm loving Thank the characters. So much. I'm loving the story. One of the things that I thought was interesting is you said that you create a playlist to help you think about the characters and do so we're going to talk about that but before that I want to start with growing up what kind of music did your family listen to were they musical and were they readers was it a family fill of readers because you end up being a writer There was always music in the house. That was one thing that I can say. There was always music. I remember my parents having one of those big, tall turntables. And it was like fairly complicated for the price point, the income we were in. But we always had that. We had stacks of vinyls. I remember the first cover I ever really saw was like the Eagles, Steve Miller Band, tons of Billy Joel, tons of Billy Joel. That was always around. My parents had seen Elton John in concert at least four times, minimum. Bruce Springsteen they'd seen. They were into all of it. So music was always part of it. My first album was actually the Grease soundtrack. Any kid in like my age group, I'm sure had. That was something that they were actually pretty overall supportive of. Not that they were taking me for music lessons or anything, but there was always music in the house. And when I got an allowance to go spend it on music was not something that they were like, no, you can't do. I think the first, the first thing I bought with my own money, I saved up for a cassette deck 
and I bought greatest the Beach Boys greatest hits. I bought the Beatles. Those were like my first two things that I bought because that was the music I had heard. And then when I got my own musical taste, I bought Madonna's True Blue. Those that kind of stuff. I moved on to Prince, the usual stuff, and then I got into the boy bands, which everybody can criticize me later for. That's where I went. No, that's fine. One of the things that I always say is there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. There's just pleasures. And if music brings you joy, I'm a child of the 70s. I adore Barry Manilow. I know that's uncool. I know that's mob, but gosh, he had his voice and the way. Yeah, that's, I totally get that. That's hilarious. So how about reading? Were Were they big readers? Were you a reader early on? My mom was a reader, my dad, not so much, but I always say that the, my, when people are like, oh, what's your favorite book? I always go back to hop on pop and people find that they're like, why is that? And I said, cause that was the first book I, anybody ever read to me. And then I went on to read by myself. So I always say it starts with hop on pop because if I didn't know how to read, I couldn't write, but I was always read too. That was one thing that even though my dad wasn't going to go out and buy a book per se, he was big on reading to me. So that was big. My mother was into like Danielle Steele, the normal books in seventies and eighties, the romance novels of that, Jackie Collins, that kind of thing. She was always big into that. And I remember when the Thornbirds came out, like for the series, the miniseries, that was like huge in my house. Oh yeah, my that was, was huge. like, oh my God, that was, the world stopped for that. She was a reader. Like I said, my dad, not so much, but he encouraged reading. And when I found, when I discovered Wonder Woman, he had no problem buying the books and everything and pushing toward comics. It wasn't like, no, that's not a real book. He was like, yep, go ahead, read it. So this is probably, I can give you the answer probably, Mm -hmm. but I need to ask, what about Wonder Woman? Why did she speak to you? Oh, there was so much. First, I, the only thing I had ever really seen up to that point was Batman and Robin and the Green Hornet. At first I was Batman and Robin intrigued me, but it wasn't until I saw Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, that I was like, oh, this changes some things. There's a chick. That's, this is cool. But she was always partnered with them. At that point, there was never just Batgirl. It was always the three of them. Then I saw Green Hornet and I saw Kato. And Kato to me was, that was a changer because he drove the car. There was no special gadgets. It was just him. And I'm like, okay, you're interesting. And then Linda Carter showed up. And that was just, hold on, what is the, who is this? This is, this is who I shall worship from this moment forward. She popped on and I was like, let me get this straight. Nobody saves her. She saves the dude. And like the paradigm, everything shifted in that moment because I was like, I don't get this. But it just went against everything I had seen, even down to like Scooby-Doo and what you saw. Velma and Daphne were always in trouble. You never saw them saving Fred. that's not how the game went so wonder woman for me was just she changed everything and i'm like yes i want to be her don't know how this will happen but get me the underoos make some tinfoil bracelets let's figure this out and this is how i will now live my life moving forward because she's everything and it was just she just spoke to me i can imagine that linda carter probably hears that anytime she talks to someone and I know I'm just going to speak for her. I'm sure it must make her thrilled. Yeah. She, I had a coworker once that we were talking and she said, Linda Carter is the one that told me, maybe I'm not looking for the boy next door. Maybe I'm looking for the girl next door. Yeah. She's she's amazing. And when she makes that appearance in the second Wonder Woman movie, I'm just, I lose myself. I'm just, by the way, spoilers for an old movie, for a movie you remember years ago. But right, that moment was just, oh. That was it. Yeah. That's what I waited for. It was like everything, even if you didn't love the movie, you were waiting for that exact moment where you were like, I've come full circle. I just, I think the biggest thing when it came to Linda Carter was she taught me you can keep up with the boys and you can surpass them. And it's okay. It's totally cool to do that. And not, you could still be compassionate kind you can have wisdom you can have all these things and still it's still okay because up to that point everything was a damsel in distress 
she was none of that, but yet she could still be vulnerable. There, there was no wall. And I was like, this is pretty cool. This is different. And I believe, and people will laugh when I say this, I believe it transferred over to Miss Piggy from the Muppets. Like I saw there was a certain piece of that where I was like, okay, I can see these women moving forward. And then you had Charlie's Angels and they all started moving where I was like, all right, we're getting less into saving and more into doing something about it and taking the reins. And as a little girl, it's just not something you saw. So I, it just, for me, it was a lot. And she still looked good doing it all. It, it was just something that I'm like, she wasn't over-sexualized in Wonder Woman in the TV show. You never saw her. Nobody was ever commenting on, wow, that's a low-cut outfit you're running around. And people were like, oh, she's beautiful. But it was never done in that creepy way. And I was, as a little girl, not that you were thinking about that, but it was just nice. It was always that she was really smart. She was really strong. Wow, look at what she's doing. I don't know. It was just like, that was the, that laid the foundation moving forward of, okay, you want a guy who will accept you for you and everything you can bring to the table and not be intimidated. It, this is a bad, <laughs> because of the latest revelations from Josh Whedon, it is always shaky to. I got it. Yeah. 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 By the way, on a side note, I, I watched the documentary on Woody Allen and his daughter and how creepy that was. I'm like, man, how can anyone still watch Woody Allen movies? And then when Josh Whedon happened, I went, oh, okay, I guess now Buffy. I'm a hypocrite because mm-hmm. I still love Firefly. But anyway, Josh Whedon had that point about the monster and the damsel, the blonde going into the alley And it turns out that the monster should have been afraid of the blonde girl, Buffy. Yeah. Love that empowerment and that idea. And we, and that's one of the things I like in your book, right? You write strong female characters and that's, and I can tell that's important to you. And I think it's important to all people who like good stories. You want your characters be there male, female, non-binary, you want them to be strong and well-developed characters. Yeah, I want Buffy. I loved Buffy. Buffy was like, for me, the next coming of Wonder Woman, as close as I was modern to me. It was like the modern development age of it. And I appreciate Buffy still to this day. And I know Whedon, it's like you said, it's a touchy subject, but I do appreciate it. When I was writing Earth of the Fae, my whole thing with my female character was I did not want them fighting over a man or any romantic interest. I did not want that. And people are like, oh, there's not really romance in your first book. I'm like, they don't have time to swipe right or left. They're just trying to figure out each other. And I wanted, especially between Serena and Aurora and Desdemona, for them to be like, okay, we've got to band together and figure this out. And even between Zion and Asa, when they're talking, that brother-sister kind of relationship of just, we're friends. We've got to come together, that found family. Like, we can't go home. We need to make our family here. Because I think there is this feel in society that blood is worth so much. And it doesn't matter how they treat you. You just keep going back. And I'm like, that's BS. You can make your family. And I wanted that theme to stick in the book. And understand that sometimes the friends that you make become your family and that bond is so much stronger and bring that together. And my females to show a little piece. In most of my females, you can find a Harley, a Wonder Woman, a Black Canary, a Poison Ivy. There's something about all of it, even in my male characters. I related Jarbok a lot to Magneto. May not agree with his methodology, but he's really trying to do what's right for his kin. There's that morally gray, I know that's what we call it now, but to be honest, it comes from comic books. That's really what it is. It's just that new literary term. But there's a lot of that in there. And I wanted everybody to feel that so you can understand. And even when I I had somebody ask, what are the sexuality of your fae? And I've said, there is none. They fall in love with energy. They don't really care about the package it comes in because they didn't want the focus to be on that romanticy attitude I want it to be on the the dynamics of 
the characters and the interplay between them, because really that's what it's about. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of things come to mind, but one of the things you just mentioned about people, feedback, there isn't a lot of romance. I always think of Penn Jillette from Penn and Teller when they were doing bullshit. People would come up to him and say, hey, you should do a topic about this. And he says, you're right. That's a good topic. You should go do it. If you want to explore it, go explore it. If you want to tell a story about that, great. I would love to read it. Go write it and I will be the first to go buy it. But I have to write the stories I want to write. I have to do the stories I want to do. I have to do the podcast I want to do, right? And I certainly 
appreciate suggestions and people that go, hey, have you ever mm-hmm. thought about doing this? But the idea is you, we each have our own views and we, we have to tell the stories we want to tell in the way we want to tell them. And there yeah. may be a time where you decide, you know what, I want to do a classic fantasy rom-com that may later you want to do that, but that's not what you want to do now. And that isn't the story you want to tell. That's just not where my, and it's not saying that they don't go down that road eventually, but that's not how I want to come out of the gate because I want you to fall in love with the characters and wonder where they're going to go and want to take the journey with them versus, oh, I know where this is going. I know these two are going to get together. It's so clear. It's, yeah. Whether it's an enemy to the lover's trope or close proximity, whatever it is, I want you to first understand whose relationship is most important and where that's going to develop versus and- usual tropes. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate when a series, either television or in a book series, where they don't fall into the, we have a male lead, we have a female lead, we need to put them together versus they're just partners and they don't go down that route. Because I don't think I have worked with many females and we've never become romantically involved. It is, uh, we've become close. We have become, I think of them as a sibling or someone that I care about. But, and so just that's a side note. When did you write your first story? My first general, just jumping in kind of thing before any publishing or anything like that. I wrote, I think an essay in like second grade about time travel. And that's when my dad will tell you, I, I decided I wanted to be a writer because I literally said I want to be a writer. And then two weeks later, I wrote an essay about wanting to be Wonder Woman. So go figure on that. But then I wrote a paper that was published when I was in nursing school about multiple sclerosis. And that was published by the International Organization of Nursing for MS. And that was like my first taste of being published per se. And I thought I'll head into research. That's where I'm going to go. And then, of course, the universe was like, no, we're going to do this and threw a rock at my head and decided totally throw me off track. But I was writing on and off throughout school, as we all do. Did I ever think I was going to end up writing? No, it wasn't. It wasn't on the radar at all. It wasn't until everything happened with my patient and telling him this story and him really pushing, being like, you should go write this. And then, like I said, the universe was like, yep, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a minute, Danielle, because I think that is a beautiful story. But how much, and I'm probably overthinking this, but how much of with Diana Prince and Wonder Woman saving the world one person at a time led you to go to nursing where you could help one person at a time? Considering that I made my nursing graduation outfit from a Wonder Woman comic, and it's copied directly from it. I'd say that was a slight influence. <laughs> yeah, that was, I went from competing in martial arts on the US team into nursing. I joke, once you beat them up, you got to learn how to patch them up. So that's exactly where I went. I have a Wonder Woman tattoo. I actually competed to the theme song from the Linda Carter show and did musical forms like that. So constantly influential. I went into nursing yeah wanting to be Diana Prince thinking that's how I'll go and eventually I'll work myself up to a mid-level provider nurse practitioner physician assistant that kind of thing but yeah it was the idea of helping that was definitely in my mind and thinking I could be good at this so she was there and I went into my class I think it was maybe we were a month before graduation and I brought in the comic showing her as a nurse because we have to actually wear a full dress the hat because, you know, they pin the hat on you. We all hold a candle. It's this whole Florence Nightingale thing. And they wanted me to go buy it from some uniform store. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. So I walked in with the comic and I'm like, so I have an idea. And Mrs. Hollander just looked at me and I was like, I want to wear this. And I like slid the comic and she just looked at me and she's like, all right, you know what? She's, I'm not even going to fight you. She had to bring it in before, before we graduate. I had it made, brought it in. And I'm like, I'm wearing this. And she just looked at me and she's sure. And she was like, what? And then I showed up fully decked out in like a 1940s uniform. And she just shook her head at me and she goes, 
are you wearing bracelets under that? And I'm like, yep. And she just went, get out, just get out. And she looked at me, she's like, I don't want to see him during graduate. Just get out, Danielle. But they all knew that was, that's what I was going to do. Wonder Woman was my hero. Of course I had it. A few years ago, I, I don't remember why, but it must've been something to do with a date with Doctor Who fandom were all because of the silence, putting the little marks on their arm. I don't know if you watch Doctor Who, but okay. And so I had a meeting with the executive vice president of my division. So I wore a long sleeve shirt that way I could cover up the marks, but that way I still mm-hmm. felt like I was covering. If you have a photo of you in your graduation, please send oh it my, my way. God. I love that. Let's go back to beating them up before you patch them up. By the way, that's going to be the title of this episode. Uh, did How early did you start learning the arts and martial arts? And was it obviously partly because, hey, Wonder Woman kicks butt, I want to kick butt. And so how early did you start and talk through that journey? I started technically later for, from a competition standpoint. I started later in life. started when I was about 18 or 19. I would love to tell you it was once again, Wonder Woman influence. This one wasn't, it was done on a bet. I wanted to go to New Orleans with my girlfriend, Jen, who's inspired Lady Serena. And my dad was like, heck no, he's, you didn't even go on spring break. You think I'm sending my 18, 19 year old to New Orleans? with her friend he's you must be out of your mind so the bet he made was he knew the gym I went to had a taekwondo program and he knew the instructor because my brother had taken it when he was like seven or something and he said you get your yellow belt I will let you go and I was like all right deal and I walked into the class and I did everything wrong you could possibly imagine I wore a crop top like nothing but a sports bra my sweatpants were rolled down a belly button sticking out like the whole thing make full face of makeup walked in front of the black belt line, hand on my hip, chewing gum, and stood there. Like, just, I'm here. Like, I'm God's gift. And my instructor walked in, and the black belts all just took one giant step away from me because they knew everything I was doing. And he was like, can I help you? I was like, I'm here to learn karate. And he was like, ugh. And he's like, okay. He's the white belts are down there. I'm like, those are a bunch of kids. I'm an adult. And I just, and he was like, oh, goody. He just looked at me like, freshman and um, he asked me my name I believe I called him by his first name John this was the last time I ever did that in my 10 years with him and so he was like okay come here and he pulled me to the back of the class and I remember Jen literally being like I'll be right back and running out and leaving me and so he was like can you do a push-up and I was like yeah and I don't do girly ones he was like oh. <laughs> he's like show me and then he's can you do it on your knuckles and I did and then he told me he just it was a hardwood floor he goes hold it and he walked away And I'm like, what? And then I dropped my hipsies up, start again. And so I was just holding a push up, and then my arms started shaking. And I don't know how long it was, but he started class and he comes back and I'm like shaking. And he's, so this is what we're going to do. He's, you're going to go and get a full shirt that covers your stomach. You're going to wash the makeup off your face. And then you're going to come back and we're going to learn some Taekwondo. And I looked at him and I went, yes. And he kind of looked at me like, and he was down like on the floor, like with me. He's like, yes. And I'm like, he's like, no, 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 that's Japanese. He's like, we're doing Taekwondo and that's Korean. He's like, Sabanim. He's for now, it's just sir. And I was like, yes, sir. And he's like, go. And I ran out, did everything. And I came back. When I came back, the man was shocked. He's like, oh, you came back. And he started laughing. He was like, you're either going to be my greatest accomplishment or one of us is leaving in a body bag. And I guarantee it's not me. And I was like, and he's okay, you ready to learn? And then he taught me like a down block, a stretch kick, a front snap kick. It was like really simple stuff. And that's when I was like, I'm not bad at this. This is, I'm decent. And I picked it up real quick. And I was like, I've seen Wonder Woman do these. That's when the Wonder Woman connection came in. I was like, I've seen her do this. And I started coming back. And each week, each day, it was twice a week. And then like Saturday and I started coming back and then I'm like, I, I'm actually good. Like I can do this. And he was shocked. And I only paid for the first month after that. He never charged me again. It was 10 years later. I never paid. And that's how I did it. And I was with him for 10 years. I gave him most of his gray hairs. When I started, the man did not have any gray hairs. When I left, full head of white. We had a good time. 
There is, we found a few, I had done some public access comic book interviewing George Perez, by the way, I got to interview George and my idols. I know. And so my son was watching it and he says, look, I was six then. There's not one gray hair on your head. You had no even thought of teenage Chris Jackson causing you pain. <laughs> yep. uh, so, yes. Oh my God, George Perez. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah the, the best. Awesome. Just truly was the best. Oh. Uh, and did you decide, or was it both you and your teacher that maybe you should compete? How did that happen? No, I had no say in the matter at all. He just told me one day, show up early. We need to clean up the room. And we rented the room. It was like a multi-purpose room. And I was like, okay, and he's just bring your stuff because we'll roll it into class because class it was a Saturday. So I was like, okay, showed up. Same thing. I had makeup on. He was like, go wash the makeup off your face. Come back. We got to go and get cleaner. And I was like, what? We? He's like, got to go get supplies. Just go do it. He's like, leave your bag here. I got it. Ran inside, did what he told, came back out. And he goes, come, let's go. I jumped in the car. And we start driving and we're passing stores. And I'm like, where the hell are we going? And the next thing, 20 minutes later, half hour, we pull up at a school. And I'm like, what? it's like a middle school or no, it was an elementary school. And we pull up and he goes, and I just see all these karate people just coming out. And he goes, so this is what I did. He's, I registered you for a tournament. Get out. And I look at him. I'm like, what? Say what? He's, yeah, you're going to fight and do forms today. Get out and go to the registration desk. I'll meet you in there and park in the car. This was like a tuck and roll. He just opened the door and was like, go. And I was like, and I go to the register. And I'm looking around. I'm like, what is this? Went to the registration desk. And yeah, sure enough, he had just decided I was competing that day. Had no idea. Didn't know anything. And he walked in and he was like, yeah, let's go watch a tournament. And I'm like, like karate kids. Like I, that was the only frame of reference I had was the karate kid. So I'm going, That's all I would have. yeah, I was like, what? And there, there was like tape on the floors. It was a big gymnasium and people are just screaming and hollering. There's kids. And I'm like, what? And then these two guys, Doug DeMassa and Mark Marzullo, who were like my Taekwondo brothers from my organization come up and I had seen them once or twice at a uh, testing. And he, Mr. McLaughlin comes up. He's like, this is Danielle. She's competing today. And I'm like, hi. And they were like, have you competed for me? No, he's like, oh, I didn't tell her. And the two just bust out laughing they're like they're holding on to each other hysterical and they're like you didn't know and I'm like no no this is your first tournament just crying and I'm like yeah and McLaughlin go watch somebody figure it out and they're just they can't even contain themselves they were no use to me that day at all and I just go and I'm just watching and then he comes back he goes you got it he's go you introduce yourself to the judges you say your name whatever and I'm like and I turn around I go I don't think I'm supposed to say gold's gym is the name of our school. He goes, oh no, we're the Academy of Korean Arts. He goes, I never say it, but yeah, that's what we are. And I'm like, oh, we got a school name? Cool. And they're just still laughing because they're like, she has no clue. And I'm like, okay. He goes, go change. I change, I come back and I'm in my little uniform. I got my little yellow belt. It was almost a green belt. That was like a yellow four tip. He goes, all right, go do form. Did my form. I win. And I'm standing there with a the trophy. I go, now what? He goes, oh, now you have to fight. I'm like, fight? He's like, yeah, we haven't done point sparring yet. Just watch. He's like, so you go in, you play tag, you get a point, you run out. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then we notice that they're going up and they're taking a big wooden bow staff and hitting the girls between the legs because they were supposed to have protective equipment. So I look at him, I'm like, what are they doing? And then he's, oh, so then Mark goes, yeah, by the way, they're really strict. Like the girls all have to wear a cup. And I look at him, I'm like, a cup, I don't, I don't have a cup. So he goes, he talks to a judge and they're like, oh, they're selling them out there. So what it was supposed to be was a shield, just a thin plastic you put in your underwear. They were sold out that day. So he comes back. He goes, okay, so here's the problem. They're sold out. What they do have is a boy's junior jockstrap. And I look at him, I go, what? And once again, Mark and Doug are now hysterical. And I'm like, okay, what do we do? He goes, so I bought you one. And he hands it to me and, I, and it's in the package. I go, what do I do with this? He goes, go put it on. So I go in the corner and I slip it over. He goes, not over your clothes. He goes, go in the bathroom. And he goes, oh, come on, let's go. So he walks me in. 
and he's holding the door and the door is like I said, it's an elementary school. So he's towering, he's over six feet. So he's towering over. And there I am trying to put this thing on. I'm like, this is not how I thought a man would ever buy me lingerie. He's shut up, put it on. I come out and I'm walking like John Wayne. I'm totally bow-legged. I'm cursing him out. And I'm like, how do you kick in this? He's like, shut up. It's what you got to wear in order to fight. Let's go. It takes me forever to get to because I'm trying to walk. Mark and Doug take one look at me. They're laughing. They put my helmet on. I got everything on. I get, my ring is called. I walk in. And the judge looks at me as I'm walking in because I can't hide that I'm wearing it. It's a boy's cup. Not made for a girl. I walk in. So they take the bow. They hit the first girl. They come to me and they hit me. And this thing stops like far out than it should. And the judge looks at me. He goes, and he hits me again. I go talk to him. And I just point to my instructor. I go talk to him. I can't. Soon they go over and he explains. He goes, they were out. That's all she's got. Comes back. He goes, can you actually kick in that? I go, I don't know. We're about to find out. And then they said, go. This girl starts hopping around. And I'm looking at my instructor. I'm like, what is she? Why is she hopping like that? And she's just hopping around. And I'm looking. So I walk up to her and I just punch her. I go, does that count? And they go point my search. It's like, it counts, counts. He's like, back up, it counts. I'm like, is that all I have to do is I just go up and punch her? And he's just keep your eye on it. <laughs> I wind up winning the fight. I come out first thing. I'm like, before you congratulate, I was like, can I go take this off? He's going to take it off. I come back out and he's, do you want more? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you will now go to tournaments alone. He's like, I will go once a year and that's it. And that's how I started competing. And I just drove myself up and down the Northeast competing Saturdays and Sundays. And then he would come once a year, watch me evaluate. And then we moved on. Did he think you wouldn't do this if he brought it to you first? He didn't want to get me nervous and too worked up because he knew that I'd be then like anxious and whatever. So he felt an ambush was best. And it probably was, to be quite honest with you. It pro- I probably would have either backed out or I would not have slept the night before and been totally freaked out. The rules he gave me was I never show up with makeup on my face. I'm not allowed to walk around with my Dobok top open with my sports bra. He would ace bandage my chest down because his whole thing was, you will never win based on your looks. He goes, I never want anybody to say I sent a pageant queen in there. He's always wear your hair in a tight braid. He's, I don't want to hear. He said, afterwards, after you win, he goes, I don't care what you look like when you walk out of there. So he gave me very specific rules. So I think an ambush and laying it out like that was the best way. So eventually they called me the assassin because- I would go in looking one way, leave another to where people would come up to me as I was leaving and go, I saw your sister. It was so great. She did so well. And I'd be like, I'm just carrying her trophies out to the car. And for a while, nobody knew it was me. Because I'd go in, throw my makeup on, put jeans on, a little top, and I'd go walking out. And they didn't know it was me. And it probably worked. So, yeah. it was That's awesome. You know, it was a good thing. Yeah. How, how You said for 10 years? And yeah, 10 years with him. And then I continued to compete after that with Kung Fu, Wushu and everything else. And I trained with Vincent Lin. He was my first Kung Fu instructor. Yeah. And you mentioned how high did you get? How much you were competing nationally, internationally? Yep. I went for the WKA team, which was my last competition in 2008. That's when I retired officially from competing. I was on the, I represented Team USA in the world championships. And nice. that was done in Disney. And I won the silver medal in soft style forms. I lost the gold by hundredth of a point due to a wardrobe issue where one of the judges didn't feel wearing a Shaolin monk uniform was tradition. So they took off hundredth of a point. Yeah. He was a Japanese stylist. He didn't feel it was traditional. There was a little bit of a back and forth. And so I look better in silver anyway. It's all good. It's tough. Right. That's oh yeah, trust me. It was I was not happy on the metal stand. There are some pictures of me and you know, Mickey may have to had to pull my hand down a couple of times because middle finger was coming. I was not happy. Mickey was standing behind me being like smile. It was a little rough there. But at the end of the day, I still got to represent the US in a world championship level and with a style that I did not originally start with. So I was one of the few that have made the change from hard to soft style. And I was happy. I was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1999. And like I said, I've gotten to train with Vincent Lynn, who's one of the greats. 
So I can't complain at all. I think you're a perfect example of we all have different different journeys in our life, right? We all have different careers and different journeys. And it, that's amazing. Talk about, I want to talk about cosplaying, but I also want to talk about, I want to give you the chance to talk about how this helping a patient led you to writing a book. So you pick which you choose your adventure, Danielle. Do you want to share a little bit about cosplaying or you want to talk about the book? We still have plenty of time. We can talk about the book and get into cosplaying because he's actually been to Comic-Con with me. So okay. we can close in. I, after I left competing and I went into nursing, I started out general practice and then did a specialty in Durham and then moved on to beef. So I had gotten a job at a Lyme disease clinic. So I worked one day with the doctor seeing the sick patients. And then I worked the weekends. I worked weekends and holidays doing nothing but IVs, sticking them and getting everybody together. And a patient had started his journey the exact same day I started mine. It was both our first days there. He was dripping. I was the new nurse. And we just became friends. It was one of those where you're walking like right side by side. And it turned out he was a football fan. I'm a huge Giants fan. Unfortunately, he's a Ravens fan, but I let that slide. And uh, we struck up a conversation because I'd be there on Sundays and we would close at one. So I was always like, I got to get out of here because I got to get Giants playing the early game. I got to get out. And so we became friends. And what happened was after about a year and a half or so of dripping, we drip seven days a week plus holidays. So it is a strong aggressive protocol. He uprooted his life from Pennsylvania to Westchester. Took a leave of absence, the whole thing. So after that time, he was finally like, look, I got to get back to work. I've got a life. Time to go. So the deal he struck with the doctor was that he would drive five hours on a Wednesday, drip for two, turn around and go home, then come back, drip Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, leave and go home. I knew it wasn't going to last, but I said, whatever. So after about three weeks of that, he finally said to me, I don't want to do this anymore. And I had rearranged <clears throat> my schedule. So I would be there Wednesdays, at least when he came in. And so he just told me, Danny, I can't do this. I don't want to do it. Like I'm done. But he would backslide if he stopped. So he would just say, keep me in the chair. Let's talk, whatever. So I was like, tell me something interesting about yourself. And in the time I had known him, it had never come up that he was recruited by the CIA out of college. I don't know how we missed this piece of the conversation. I was like, that's interesting. And he was like, no, it was for the most boring piece. It was the trends and intentions division. He's basically, I just would have been an analyst. And every joke about being a secret agent man came up. And then I'm like, oh, you should have taken it. And he's, no, I couldn't because if you don't hang in there for a certain amount of time, they disavow and whatever. My God, we could have figured out what was in Roswell. We went down like that whole rabbit hole. And so we were joking. And then for some reason, I said, you know where Lyme disease comes from? And he goes, yep, Plum Island went down that conspiracy theory. And I went, no. To this day, I don't know why I said it because I was not reading any books about it. I was still on a vampire kick. I said, no, the Fae. I don't know why. And he was like, who? And I'm like, you know, the Fae, fairies. And he was like, and he just kind of sat back in his chair, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, come on. I was like a big secret agent dude like you. I'm like, you know all about it. I said, I know why you're really here. And he was like, oh, you do? And he's still looking at me like, now I finally lost my mind. Like I've gone off the deep end. She's been sniffing the medicine, something's up. And I was like, yeah, you're here to see if the cute nurse is a fey human hybrid. And she's really like the reason behind this whole Lyme disease thing. And then he sat back in the chair and he got it a little bit. And he was like, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm like, you want to know she's a succubus. And he was like, okay. And then he's telling me again, who are the fae? And I was like, there are these angels that were locked out of heaven and they couldn't go home. So they started a life here. And then I just started telling him the story. And I would just, every time he sat down, we'd talk a little bit more and get, do another chapter. And it just evolved from that. So if something happened in the drip room, we turn it into a piece of the story and it kept going. So I put him in the story and I made him the CIA agent and the whole thing. 
but at the time I didn't know what I was doing. Like we were just telling stories and I didn't think, oh, I'm going to write this. So he was the one who was like, you have to go home and write this. Like you have to go write this story. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I was like, look, I've paid all this money for my prereqs. I'm in applying right now to physician assistant programs, my NP. I'm going to go pump some faces full of wrestling. I ain't got time for this. And he was just like, no, you really need to go write this down. Then I had a needle stick accident. So I got stuck with a needle. It malfunctioned and I wound up getting stuck. I had to then be treated with the exact drug that I was giving him. I went into anaphylactic shock and almost died. He was the last person I was talking to as it happened, which is just crazy in itself. But I was sitting on the couch and they were starting the drip and he's texting me. And he's just, he's saying a bunch of stuff like, oh, now who's got the needle, huh? Whatever. He's taunting me. And then he said something that I guess he thought was crossing a line. Just, oh, who's being a baby, whatever. And then I wrote back, I don't feel good. No, I really don't feel good. And he was like, oh, you're just scared. And then I stopped responding because my throat had closed up. Oh, no. And I'm looking around and there's nobody because they all left me alone thinking I'll be fine. And so I started banging on the wall and then I wrote him and I went, call the office and tell him. And he was like, tell him what? And I'm like, call the office 911. So at that point he called the office and he was like, somebody go check on her. Like now. And then the, the office manager came in and saw I was blue. And she was like, and I'm like, and I'm just pointing to my throat. The doctor comes running in and they're like, holy cow, this is it. And it turned out all the times I was having hives or I was saying, yeah, it feels stuffy in here. It wasn't because we were in a basement. I was actually allergic to the medicine. And that was when the gears started turning that maybe I can't do this. They sent me to an allergist. Allergist was like, you're anaphylactically allergic to this entire class of drugs. Don't know how you've been working there so long. They promised they would re redo protocol so I could stay. I stayed another, it was June. I stayed until September until there was another accident. Somebody dropped the med that I was allergic to on the floor and didn't clean it up and didn't tell me. And I walked through it on my way to a meeting. And I went into an allergy loop for five days where I was on prednisone pushes and IVs and everything. And at that mm. point, cardiologist called because I was on so much epinephrine and the allergist called and called the doctor and said, she's a girl with a peanut allergy working in a peanut butter factory. It's got to stop. And then my patient was like, are we going to sit and write the book now? He's like, is it time? I had applied to two programs, got in, got sat down for a nursing an MP interview that didn't go well. And then I had got, I'd started the book at that point and I started writing all three at once because I didn't know what I was doing. And it started, the ball started rolling from there and eventually wound up where I am now. That's crazy. That's such a wonderful story. And I'd love, sometimes fate, whatever you want to call it, has a plan for us that we don't know. What was the first book you wrote? You said you were writing all three, but what was the first one published? First one published is Locked Out of Heaven. I wrote Locked Out of Heaven, Thine Eyes of Mercy, From the Ashes, and pretty much Kingdom Come all at the same time. That whole, really volume one, which is six books, was written at the same time because they were divided up. They were all written at the same time. Birth of a Succubus, which is volume two, which is the original story that I told my patient with Agent Graham, who's his persona, was the one I started with and then backed up because as I was writing that when I go, oh, people are going to want to know how Jarvok and Aurora came to be. And I go back and pull out another journal and start writing it because I handwrite everything. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. So I would just pick up a journal, start writing and then throw that one aside and go, oh, let's start this one. So all the books are handwritten first. I have stacks of journals, but the first one published was Locked Out of Heaven. And then they were divided up. I worked, after I got through all the scams, I found an amazing developmental editor, Cleet Barrett-Smith, who's written a bunch of best-selling middle grade books, Aliens on Vacation, When We Were Giants. And he was the one who was like, we got to divide these up. He's like, these are 400 page books. You don't have the audience for that. So he helped me get to that place to divide them up. 
and really guide me. And then we went from there. So volume one is Birth of the Fae. And it's all about the Fae and them establishing themselves. Volume two is modern day. And it focuses on the CIA agent Graham and him trying to find this Fae human hybrid in a Lyme disease clinic of all places. And that kind of focuses on our story between myself and the patient. And birthofthefay.com's your website, correct? Birthofthefay.com is the website, yes. Is that the best place to go if people want to reach out to you and buy the books? They can go there, find out where the books are. They can always check me out on Instagram at birthofthefay underscore novel and see what the latest and greatest thing is because I'm most active there. But if they just want to check out where the books are, birthofthefay.com is the way to go. What's next for you, Danielle? Right now, we have a, a game coming out, an AR game with Meldriverse that features Los, the chameleon dragon, and you'll be able to have your own little virtual Los right in your pocket. And uh, everybody's excited about that. Right now, you can go and check it out. There's links on Instagram, but we're real excited about that because everybody loves Los, and Los is based off my Yorkie, so how can you not love Los? And then I have books, gowns, and crowns coming up in Tampa. So that's in May, May 21st. And that'll be for a couple of days. Then I go to, I have Barnes and Nobles in Charlotte. I'm doing a signing there on July 1st. And then we have GalaxyCon in Raleigh, July 26th. I've got a couple things coming up. And then the final volume, the final book for volume one. I should say, forgive us. Book six comes out June 16th. And then we'll see when volume two hits. I've written them. They're done. I might make everybody wait a little bit. Absolutely. Everybody excited. Absolutely. Get, get yeah. everybody excited about that to meet Graham. You do meet Graham at the end of book six. We get a little vignette, little mm -hmm. short story about what Agent Graham is up to and how he starts. And then we'll see. But I will be in cosplay at all my events. I always show up in fake cosplay. When I'm at GalaxyCon, though, Harley kind of sneaks out a little bit. Of course. Unless Chris Claremont's there. Then I got to do a Marvel one. Yes. Because the godfather of the X-Men expects you in a Marvel cosplay. Don't walk up to him as Wonder Woman. Yeah, I know he wrote a Wonder Woman graphic novel and everybody gets on me. So he still prefers you in Marvel. Make so, no mistake. So I have a Chris Claremont story. Years ago, I have a good friend named Tom Zoller who has written Love and Capes and all kinds of other books. And um, we were in Columbus, Ohio, and he was invited to go to dinner and uh, he took me along. And there was Chris Claremont, Roger Stern, Mark Evanier, just oh this who's who of people. And they were all <laughs> talking about Obama versus I, I can't remember now. I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, it was during Obama's first campaign. Tom looks over at me like, I want to hear them talk who should be in the Justice League. I don't want to hear anything about politics. Politics. Yeah. So Tom asked Chris, how's the convention going? And he says, huh, good. He says, I keep getting, people keep bringing me stuff to sign. And it's never any of my new stuff. And I just wish. And I just looked at him like, I, but do you understand that if I was coming to see you in a convention, I would find the oldest thing I could find that you wrote to try to show you, man, I've been here for since the beginning. Because anybody right. can go to a dealer, buy your new book and bring it to you. And he was like, oh, I'd never thought of that before. That's that, cool. Trust me, Chris, we, we adore, but it was... That was yeah. one of my best moments. You just were sitting in there, just they're all talking. How's Obama hey. doing? I saw McCain. I saw more Obama t-shirts than I saw McCain t-shirts. I'm like, guys, because to them, they're let's, just. Let's discuss other things here. There's more. Yeah, I just want to know that. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I have to ask you the Mary question. For those of you who are Danny fans who love her books and if you haven't checked them out, I'm going to urge you to check them out. I'm reading one and I'm loving all the characters. I'm loving the stories. 
But I end every podcast with the Mary question. What that is, Jay Armstrong, who is a retired honors English teacher, would give his class the Bruce Springsteen song, Thunder Road. They would read the lyrics. They would talk about the themes, the imagery that Bruce uses. And at the end of two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? Danielle, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? No. Okay. Tell me why. No, I think it's I think it's all just a metaphor for just life and what's passed by. No, I think it's just the loss of opportunity. So I love no. that answer. That's a great answer. Good. All right. Thank you so much. As we said, Instagram, go ahead and give me again where we can find you. At birth of the Fay underscore novel. And then my website is birthofthefay.com. And check it out there. The books are all on Audible, Barnes and Nobles, bookshop.org, Amazon. You can check it out. And then all the appearances will be up shortly. But if you're in the Raleigh area, I'll be at GalaxyCon. And then if you're in Charlotte, I will be at Barnes and Nobles on Sharon Road, July 1st. Awesome. That sounds great. Danielle, this was a blast. Thank you so much. I had so much fun visiting with you. And I'm so excited to explore the new world you've created. So I hope you had a good time. I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. And I appreciate everybody who's listening. And yes, please rate and review. People don't understand how much reviews help us, whether you're a podcaster or an author. It really does help. It really does. All right. Thank you for listening. Listeners, remember to be safe, be kind. And remember, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Bye, everyone. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
Thank you, Danny. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry we didn't get too into the music. I know we got sidetracked here and there, but it was No, I, I meant to mention that you had a Kiss t-shirt on. I was fascinated with the book story. So thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you so very much. I, it's, um, I met Claremont for the first time in Charlotte and I was dressed up as Wonder Woman and he took, and I went, oh, can I get a picture? And he went that, and he just looked me up and down. He went, you can stay on that side of the table. And I was like, and I just looked at like my jaw at the floor. I went, oh, okay. He went for COVID reasons. And I went, and then I was like, oh, he goes, but next time I want to see you in a Marvel cosplay. And I went, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I promise. So when I saw him in Richmond, I was dressed as Firestar. And he was like, come here, honey. And he came over and he gave me a big hug. And he was so happy. But I had seen him the night before and he had read book one. So I brought him book two. And then he gave me a big, and I was crying. He was like, you're a better writer than I am. And he was hugging me and everything. So I said, I'm like, I know I'm not dressed up. I was like, because I didn't know you were going to be here right now. I was like, but I have a fire start. I swear. And he was like, he was like, when are you going to wear it? I was like, I was going to wear it Sunday. And he goes, wear it tomorrow. And I was like, yes, sir. I came running and he was like, there's my girl. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I have a fire star action figure and he's, I'm selling it. He's like, do you want it? And I'm like, but you're selling it. He's like, I'm like, no, I don't want to take any money from you. I'm like, I was like, I'll pay you. He was like, no, no, you would just want it. And I was like, no, I was like, get the money for it. I was like, look, if it's still here by the end of the day, like I'll come back. But he was just like, so super nice. Like just been so cool to me. And then he was like, yes. when I go to Charlotte, I expect book three. He's and this again. And I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, I'm going to do a better mask. And it was just, he was awesome. And Steranko was the same way. I love just that story. Guys. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, great guys. All right. So thank you very much. No, if and it's then, okay um, with you, I'm going to put mm-hmm. this Claremont as the post credit little segment. Do you mind telling me sharing that oh, story? No, okay. no, not at all. He was, he's awesome. Jim's like I said, Jim Stranko, same thing. Just yeah. like super nice guys. And I, you're just so amazed when you meet them, but I was bawling like, and his handler was laughing because she was, she saw the tears come. And once when I handed him the book, I was like shaking and he's like, did you sign it? I was like, yes, sir. And I'm just like nodding my head. And then he was like, thank you. And then it just, I started crying and she looked at me. She goes, I did the same thing with Frank Miller. And he turns around and he goes, Frank Miller. That's where he was like, I just kind of roll like whatever. And then I was like, oh, and then she goes, technically she's dressed up. because She's got the Spider-Man t-shirt on. She's Mary Jane. And he was like, no, he just looked, he's like, it doesn't count. He's don't give her an out. But he was just, he was the nicest oh. guy. And when I met Jim Steranko, I, I met him in Charlotte and we were talking and I was dressed as Harley and he, he goes, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm an author. And he goes, do you have your book? And I was like, no, not on me. And he's, oh. are you coming back tomorrow? I said, yeah. He goes, bring me your book. And once Joel was on the floor, I was like, what? He's bring me your book. I want to read it. So the next day I came back, I was dressed as Wonder Woman and I was waiting and his handler went, you don't have to wait. He's been waiting all day for you. And he just moved everybody down. He goes, come here. So I walked to the table. He goes, she's back. And I was like, and I'm shaking. I was like, this is my book. And he goes, is it signed? And I went, yes, sir. He goes, is your information in here? And I, yes, sir. And he grabbed my face and he went, wait a minute. That's you on the cover. I went, yes, sir. And he goes, I told you if I was still drawn right now, he goes, I put you on the cover or something and grabbed my face. And I was just like, oh, and he's, I'm going to read this. And I was like, okay. And then he said, he goes, have you gone to see Chris? And I went, no, he goes, you should go see him. And I was like, okay. Wow. Once again, tears are coming. And I'm like, you just, you picture these legends in your head. And then they're there in front of you. And I'm trying to be like, I love the Justice League Unlimited one that you wrote. And he's just, I know. I yeah. Know. And he's, You're welcome at my table anytime. Yeah, I need to go, but I got to. Oh, one of my no favorite problem. stories Mark Evanier tells is he was. He talked about growing up watching the Dick Van Dyke show and he he realized that he wanted to be a TV writer because he got to see Rob Petrie with Buddy and Sally. And so he was he met Dick Van Dyke in person and he started to tell Dick Van Dyke that story. And Dick stopped him and said, you wanted to be a TV writer because you got to hang out with those people and you got to be married to Mary Tyler Moore, correct? And Mark goes, yeah. He goes, 
You won't believe how many times I've been told that. <laughs> they just know. And he said, thank but you. That's, I always love hearing it, but I just, I said, that's, it's, and I like, that's what I thought about that with Linda Carter, right? She is just a joy. And I'm so glad she's still out there on social media, fighting for the right yep. causes, pushing exactly. for equality and against this horrible I'm from Texas, yeah. so everyone is worried that I'm, and I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm a blueberry in a very red state. Yep. So yeah, she just, yeah. they say don't meet your heroes, but sometimes that's not true, is it? No, I've had the pleasure at one of her concerts of her pointing me out because I showed up in full Wonder Woman cosplay thinking everybody would. I was wrong. She's got a beautiful voice, but she turned the house lights up and pointed to me and made me stand up. And was like, you look amazing. Keep going. Keep rocking. Like she was phenomenal. And I was like, I once again, tears, the whole thing. But I thought, and there were people who were very mean to me for showing up that way. And then I looked at all of them. I was like, see, I'm like, yeah. What was funny is when I went to see Kiss for the first time, they do embrace cosplay. Like at a Kiss show, they're all, there's a lot of people in cosplay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Send me a couple of photos. I appreciate you. I will send you some photos and then anything else you need, let me know. Will do. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions, and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.